politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, culture, society, and our existence. Really, our existence itself is hanging in the balance today, Tuesday, the 27th of February. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today. And folks, one of the things we did not have during the Revolutionary War, was a prospect of being replaced. Okay, they might have had due process issues and taxes, but they weren't literally trying to invade and replace us. But that is what is occurring. The dichotomy between the severity of the issues we face, funded by this rogue, degenerate government, versus the resolve that we have from a true opposition party is truly a sight to behold. So we talked about yesterday the magnitude of the criminal alien crisis, the criminality we're bringing in uh, from overseas. And I want to continue that discussion today, both from the demographic data, you know, just, just the size of the numbers replacing us, the culture replacing us, and then also continue along the theme of talking about the criminality and how easy this is. Nobody likes to be replaced. Nobody likes to be invaded. Nobody likes to feel like a stranger in their own home. You know, we we could talk about fiscal issues and social issues over which to have a government funding showdown and and there are a lot of them, you know, we'll talk about later this week, the economy, very easy issue. And I would argue some of the social issues as well. But there's nothing quite like this, the border invasion. This is a 90-10 issue. But giving over to the public that it's not at the border, it's in our communities. The most brutal gangbangers and criminals are now in our communities thanks to this and the need to fight on the budget, the need for states to deport. And yet, a day later, I'm not seeing any evidence of that. And in fact, Speaker Johnson, from everything I hear, and Chip Roy put this out on his Twitter, he's just basically negotiating to pass a bill, whether it's a temporary bill for three weeks until the final cave, or he does the final cave immediately. But there's no question that it will not include any major policy riders. And then even on the budget, and this is truly unbelievable. So I've said this before, we've already incurred the liabilities of the debt ceiling deal from last year. But there was one benefit, the provision from Thomas Massey, that it's already locked into law being passed last year, that if you merely just do a CR for the rest of the year, if you don't do a new funding bill, it will automatically cut 1% of all government, but certain non-defense uh, agencies will be a lot more, up to t- 10%. That will be pain. All he has to do is, see, there's one thing if, okay, you're too scared of a budget fight over policy riders, which is insane, given the nature of the top policy rider we want in there to shut down the border. But then there's like, okay, we're just going to do the status quo. We pass a bill out of the House just simply extending funding for the remainder of the year. How could you even be blamed for a government shutdown? 
and then you'll actualize come April uh, 30th automatic cuts. How could you run away from that? But yet, that's where Johnson is headed because there is nothing that this administration can do that will shake Speaker Johnson of his maniacal, irrational fear of a temporary shutdown of HUD and the EPA over the future of our very existence as a civilization. And that really is what is uh, at at stake here. You know what's amazing? Mayor Eric Adams, you know, New York Mayor Adams, he's now actually calling for New York City to change some of its sanctuary laws so that illegals who at least the ones that commit felonies can be turned over to ICE for deportation. It's gotten that bad that even he is reversing, yet Republican leaders in the House and the Senate, because it's the Senate too, remember, Speaker Johnson should pass a good bill out of the House, and Republicans have well over 41 seats, theoretically, to block Schumer from successfully passing a bad bill out of the Senate. That's what should be happening. We are winning so much on this issue, but this is what happens when you have a subversive Republican Party. It's negative because the entire purpose of this GOP majority at this juncture is nothing more than ensuring that there is a bipartisan buy-in, a bipartisan veneer of ownership of these demonic policies that otherwise only the Democrats would be on the hook for defending them. It it is truly, truly unbelievable. I want to start off today playing it's almost a two-minute clip, but it's worth hearing all of it. It's it's uh this came from the Twitter account of Radio Um What is this? Uh Radio Genoa. It's a city in Italy. I'm probably mispronouncing it. Um, but a good account there, uh, Radio G-E-N-O-A on Twitter, of an Irish woman describing what happened to her in her city in Ireland over the last number of years. Take a listen here. I'm from Dublin, but I come to Mayo every weekend. Um, but I wanted to talk about what the situation is like where I live, because you have not seen what is coming yet, and I have. Where I live is about 85% foreign nationals. I can walk down the street on any given day, walk into the supermarket, and I don't hear an Irish conversation. I hear foreign people everywhere. My child is one of 30 children in her class and she's the only Irish child. She came home crying from school a few weeks ago because she doesn't understand what any of her friends are saying. The children revert back to their own languages when they're not being taught. She literally cannot understand the conversations around her. But when, when Halloween came around there a few months ago, last year she was allowed to dress up. Sorry, the year before last she was allowed to dress up. This year she wasn't allowed to dress up. And when I asked the school why, they said they didn't want to offend people. But I, I don't go for a walk around the park during the day with my child anymore. I have a big dog and I don't go for a walk by myself anymore. I very rarely leave my house because where I live is so unsafe. And that is the reality that you're facing if you don't make a stand. And I understand it's really, really hard 
to, you know, be called names and all of these things. But you have to stand up on behalf of your children and the future of the country. The country is going to, the landscape of this country is changing completely. And if you're okay with that, fine, but I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that for my child. Please, please put your children first and your country first and just don't care what anyone else thinks. So folks, that sounds very heartrending, right? You know, woman having to grow up where she's a stranger in her own land. And that she's the only English-speaking kid in the class, scared of the crime, scared of the culture. And she says that is the reality we face if we don't take a stand. That is the reality we face if we don't take a stand. I want you guys to understand that. Being neutral, being th- those of you who are normie Republicans, normie conservatives, just kind of, yeah, vote Republican, vote Trump, and you don't want to get involved in this red state movement to try to create enclaves where we could still, you know, America is much larger than Ireland, so maybe we could still preserve our culture our, our way of life, ordered, ordered liberty, some modicum of prosperity in pockets of this country. If we don't do that now, this is what awaits us. Because here's the deal. In large portions of America, it's already here in large numbers. But really, I mean, people don't realize that when you add the existing illegals to the roughly, it's hard to know how many increased. I mean, if you take the apprehensions and gotaways, it probably gets you to about 10 million just since Biden took office. Now, maybe they deported or turned back about 2 million of those. Let's say 8 million on top of, what are we already at, 15 to 20 million? Who knows? They're in rural areas as well. And depending on the area, some of them in large numbers, some of them in smaller numbers, but that problem is everywhere. We have to rid ourselves of it. But that is that is what we face if we don't take a stand And I'm going to go through exactly what it is we face because in a large swath of America, it's already stage five cancer. It's done. The question is where and how we're going to retreat from that and preserve ourselves. But there's no sense of urgency. Oh, yeah, just Mr. Trump's going to win. You know, don't need to vote. Don't need to ballot harvest. Don't need to get involved in anything else. It will all be good. No, no, it won't. No, it won't. Anyway, today we're, we are sponsored by, again, something that we can do of our own volition. We not, might have false dichotomies of uh, voting, but when it comes to your cell phone service, you actually have bold colors, not pale pastels, choosing Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider over the big three that spy on you, that give your info to China, and that fund every left-wing cause imaginable. Patriot Mobile, they fund uh, veterans programs, first responders, Second Amendment, uh, legal defense for sanctity of life and religious freedom and free speech. They have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team. So what what does that mean? You call 972-PATRIOT. Then you give them activation code CR for free activation. You could keep your phone, keep your number. It's painless. And it, it's kind of nice. They're all Americans, English speakers. Or you could go to patriotmobile.com slash CR. So again, join our movement. We've been with them for 10 years here at The Blaze. Uh, patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Now, I know we're going to get a lot of uh, listeners today 
from Glenn Beck Show. I really appreciate Glenn having me on today and generously plugging this show. Um, and, and he plugged yesterday's show. I talked about all the crime data. I want to start off just with demography. So we heard that woman from the from Ireland discussing how she's a stranger in her own land. To a large degree, we're we're really already like that in America. We we've long actually long passed that. Now the only saving grace is it is a very large country, so you know it's not uniform, and we gotta pick the best areas and secure them as we can, which is again why red state deportation is the number one prerogative here. Everything else, abstract border security is meaningless. According to the Census Bureau's current population survey. Okay, this is as of October. There were almost 50 million foreign-born people living in the U.S. Again, there's a lot of great immigrants, but numbers matter. Okay? Um, they now compose 15% of the U.S. population. And I, I would argue, um, again, these are census numbers. I would argue that that is really not including millions of illegals. Some illegals are included in that, but I would argue a lot of them are not. So it wouldn't surprise me if it's north of 55 million. And on this trajectory, I want you to think about this by 2065. Okay, so I mean, that sounds like that's ages away, but you know, any young American would hope to be in the prime of their life in 40 years from now. 88% of our population growth, 88% of our entire population population growth will come from immigrants. I want, I want you to understand that. And an immigrant is defined by um, that generation of having come here, meaning everyone that's here now will be a native. <laughs> so that will all go in the native. But so it's, you know, if you, if you include the subversive foreign cultures like the Islamic and the Venezuelan gang culture, it's, it's going to be almost 100% of the growth, especially when coupled with the destruction of uh, you know, native society, the culture of gender, you know, ideology and not getting married and all that stuff and mental illness. Let's go through some of the numbers. During the Great Wave, okay, that was the greatest expansion of immigration we had until this era, roughly between 1880 and 1920. So despite all of that immigration, because we had a shutoff, by 1970, 90 years after the beginning of the Great Wave, the immigration population had only increased 44% in raw numbers. Over the same period, the native-born population increased by 306%. Anyone who compares the Great Wave to this, that is why it was successful. It had a long shutoff. Now, let's just put aside the fact that not over 90% of the immigrants were from Europe. That, that, that does matter. Okay, It was of relatively similar stock. You had a lot more Catholics and Jews than Protestants, so it was different. You know, some Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, but not that different. We're not talking about the prisons of Venezuela, um, the jungles of Bhutan, and the Islamic Sharia crazy holes. Somalia, right? It's not what we're talking about. Um, but anyway... The native population, you know, they were that that was the pinnacle of American, you know, the baby boom, uh, people getting married young and having kids. 
So it was dominated by native growth. And that's why we had a melting pot, not a salad bowl, uh, resulting from that. Okay? Contrast that to the current wave, which has shown no sign of abating. At current levels, the total immigrant population will reach nearly 60 million by the end of 2028, which is 17.3% of the total population. Okay? And remember, these are numbers. This is quantitatively. Qualitatively, over 90% of the great wave immigrants were from Europe. Now it is just about, from what I could see, about 9%. I forgot when I pulled that number maybe a few years ago, about 9% of the green cards per year. Now, if you make it as a, if you throw in illegals in there too, then it's going to be obviously a you know much smaller percentage than that. Now, although we have about 50 million immigrants today, the total number of people who speak a foreign language at home as of 2019, so this was before the Biden invasion, according to our friends at the Center for Immigration Studies, was 67.3 million, roughly one in five people. But you go to certain states, in seven states, the percentage of foreign language speakers at home is over 30% in California, it is 45%. More than one-third of adults who speak a foreign language at home are U.S.-born. That means that they're not assimilating. A Migration Policy Institute report claims that 77% of the millions of school-aged children enrolled in limited English-proficient programs are native-born. So again, among the children in limited English-proficient programs, three-quarters of them are U.S.-born. Again, don't let anyone gaslight you about, oh, we've always had this throughout history. Oh, Daniel, your your you know ancestors, when they came over, they spoke German or or whatever. You know, he, he, here's the reality. They might have spoken that, but their kids absolutely spoke English. And that 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 was the distinguishing factor there. And that's that's largely not occurring from depending on the demographic, but certainly, you know, from uh, certain parts of the world. So uh, we're already in that position. The only difference we have with Ireland is that if we would exert our numbers and will over red areas that should have their own sovereign legal jurisdictions, we could kind of stand in that breach in the wall bridge that gap and hopefully somewhat reinvent what America was in parts of the country. But that's rapidly changing. And speaking of school age, I've said this before, but it's worth reviewing today in light of the news. Uh, Center for Immigration Study put out this report last June on different school districts in the country. There are 11 million public school students in 2021 from immigrant-headed households, okay? So in other words, when you go to a public school, this, this is the aggregate of all of America, not like the highly concentrated areas. All of America, 23% of kids are in from a home of an immigrant parent. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but, but the sheer numbers demonstrate that, that that's not immigration. That's just replacement. 
Okay, that's double the level in 1990 and triple the level in 1980. And in 2021, 29% of public school students from immigrant households were from households that were here illegally. So think about that. That that number is huge, but then almost a third of that number, meaning households where kids, school kids come from household of uh, immigrants, a third of them are here illegally. I mean, that's just insane. And again, I don't think it is fully, those numbers are old, a couple years old. They have not fully actualized this invasion. Now, it's obviously concentrated. So they have what's called PUMAs that are census-designated school districts 700 of the 20, there's 2,351 of them, 700 of them account for two-thirds of those students. So it is going to be concentrated. There are currently 287 of these districts where more than half the students are from immigrant households. Obviously, you know, a lot of areas in, in New York City and New Jersey and Massachusetts But, you know, other places would surprise you. But then if you look statewide, let's not, not just a tiny district, but statewide, what percentage of students are from an immigrant household? Delaware, okay? In, I'm going to compare numbers from 1990 to 2021. So 1990. It went from, so this is a period of one generation, you know, 30 years. So when, when we were kids, it went from 2% being immigrant to 25%. You take a state like New Jersey, which was always immigrant heavy, was 17, now it's 39. Nevada was 11, now it's 30. Maryland was 9, now it's 29. Washington State, which you didn't think was too much, was 9, now it's 28. North Carolina, I mean, this is a big one. This is how they're going to flip North Carolina. It went from 2% immigrant, again, these are children in the public schools, 2% to 19%. Virginia, 6 to 23. That's certainly a part of the flipping of Virginia. A lot of it, obviously, is the government growth. Georgia went from 3 to 19. Again, that's another state they're flipping. Massachusetts went from 13 to 28. Florida went from 17 to 31. New York went from 21 to 35. Texas, 17 to 31. And listen to this. Minnesota went from 4 to 18. And as we well know, that's largely driven by the invasion of, um, you know, what do you call those dudes? The invasion of the Somalis. So, folks, this is already here. No, nobody has an answer for this. And again, this is this this also has what to do with legal immigration. But at a minimum, we could take red areas that don't necessarily have that much immigration at all. And, you know, wall, wall, wall off what's going on. But I wanted to go back to the criminality aspect and tie into the, you know, what we're talking about with red states. A couple more things. So going back to Georgia and the murder of Lake and Riley. So, by the way, one thing is we see her skull was bashed in. And this is signature of the type of brutality that we're bringing in 
from this Trende de Aragua prison gang. I don't know if this alleged suspect is a member of it, um, but it's that type of people that we're bringing in. But anyway, we talked about yesterday how this guy's brother, Diego, was caught several times, including in Georgia, and yet he was released. So you, you can't just blame it on Sanctuary City, New York City. It turns out that this guy himself, the alleged suspect, also had the same issue. The Athens County Police Department also confirmed to Fox Digital that Ibarra had been arrested. We know he was arrested in New York City on driving offenses. Um, he was arrested in Georgia as recently as October for shoplifting in Athens, Clark County on October 27, 2023. And he had an outstanding bench warrant in the county for failing to appear in court for those charges. How does that happen in a red state? Well, the same way his brother Diego was downright working at UGA Athens uh, because they don't enforce their E-Verify law. So I don't want to hear this thing again. Oh, Biden. Oh, Biden. Republicans have the House and Republicans have half the states, including the states that we're talking about. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, I don't have time to look. These are just the stories that I literally saw without researching, like on Twitter, just new stories. If I were to research this, this is ubiquitous. It is so much more pervasive than you think. This is from uh, Borderhawk blog, multiple stabbings in Montana by illegal alien suspects. Again, it takes a conservative blogger to vet this out because most people don't do this. At least three people have been seriously injured in separate incidents involving illegal alien suspects in Big Sky Country this month. On February 4th, Flathead County Sheriff's Office deputies were called to the scene of a crime in Kila, approximately 10 miles from Kalispell in northwest Montana. A lot of people are moving there to escape blue states. Very popular area, very fast growing. Again, one of the fastest growing areas, um, which is partly why Montana had an extra congressional seat. People are moving there, but, you know, little information was released about the suspects, but Montana radio host Aaron Flint later confirmed that they were both illegally present in the U.S. Flathead County Sheriff's Office coordinated efforts with U.S. Border Patrol and Homeland Security for a deportation process of two individuals. Due to their violent behavior and immigration status, we worked with the federal officials on the removal. Um, that was from Flathead County Sheriff's Office. And that the two were handed over to Homeland Security were illegal. On February 10th, two more bloody attacks involving illegal alien suspects unfolded in Bozeman. So another part of the state. A man walking home from downtown said two Hispanic men jumped out of their vehicle and began attacking him at the corner of Bozeman and Olive. The men attacked with knives and hammers. Again, this is very endemic of their culture, and eventually stopped to chase another person, allowing the victim to escape. A man told officers he was involved in a fight with two Hispanic men at a bar downtown. Another case. The suspects chased the victim down, slashed him repeatedly in the face, arms, and throat. So... This is what we're experiencing in God's country. You know, a lot of people are like, Daniel, you need to move out of Maryland, and I, I want to move. But 
as you well know, my big dilemma is where do I move to? Where do I go? Because there's nothing more heartbreaking than moving to, oh, let's go to Montana. Oh, whoops. We got Child Protective Services uh, grabbing a kid and transing him. Her, we got the governor who celebrates his trans kid. We can't even have a special session on reducing property taxes when it's becoming a big problem there. And uh, we got illegals. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. So don't think this is not a red state problem. And don't think this is not something we can do. Imagine if this was the message that every Republican governor and senator and congressman got together this entire week. This has to stop. You will not be replaced. See, you cannot. Me- Democrats cannot message their way out of that argument. Nobody wants that. Everyone fears that. I mean, except for the real crazies. When I say nobody, I mean the type of people you need to win in the middle. Should I go on? Fox News, Venezuelan migrant brags about living off taxpayers, urges followers to unite behind Times Square shooter. Venezuelan migrant Leonel Moreno posted a video to social media urging his uh, 300,000 followers to unite and pay the fines of a 15-year-old migrant who allegedly shot a tourist in Times Square earlier this month. The media covered that up. I invite you to find his mother for all of us to unite to pay the fines so that the young Venezuelan feels that he's not alone during these difficult moments. These are the type of belligerent, obnoxious, disgusting people. And again, the Venezuelans, we probably let in about a million of them, are qualitatively have the worst concentration of them. Big, big problem. Huge problem. Let's go on. This is from WB, no, WDBJ, this uh, CBS affiliate. Is this Lynchburg or south of Lynchburg, Campbell County? Okay, so this is, again, God's country, you know, the red part of Virginia. Campbell County Sheriff's Office arrested a man who's here illegally from, you guessed it, Venezuela. Th- these are stories that literally just happened this week. I mean, the Montana one was maybe earlier this month. They arrested a guy for sexual assault against a minor. Okay? He came in at El Paso, was released by Border Patrol in September 2023. Same story. He's being held in Virginia without bond. At least he's being held without bond. But you see what I mean? Now, we don't know if the victim is an American. It's hard to know. Often they victimize their own people. But, you know, look, this is... This is like a, a 75-25 Trump County. This is deep in red, you know, the red part of Virginia. And you know, these are not aberrations. It wasn't like, I'm sure he's not the only guy in the entire county. Where we discover a story where you know, we, we're, we're able to even find a local media article that highlights a guy's status demonstrates that there's often a lot more where it's just a local crime story, but it's never vetted out that this guy was one of the illegals that just came in. But I'm just telling you the amount of recent arrivals that are doing this is insane. Obviously, they're all over New York City, from the 15 who beat the cops to the Times Square shooter. They're everywhere. Everywhere. We have in, in, in D.C. too. 
there was um, a report yesterday. You could look it up. There were three DC, DC police officers shot. Stefan Claude Redigan, who is an illegal alien, has an active ICE deportation order and is a suspect for, for shooting those three officers. Now, I don't know if he's Venezuelan, but he's here illegally. I want you to understand how crazy this situation is. This is an article from from uh, two months ago from Bloomberg, December 2023. It is such an open common knowledge, open fact, that the Venezuelans are committing so much crime that even Bloomberg two months ago, shamelessly and with no self-awareness, had a headline. Venezuela's violent deaths fall to 22-year low on migration. On migration. Now, your brain has to turn a little bit. What does that mean? Well, here's the opening sentence of the article. Venezuela's rate of violent deaths dropped to its lowest level in more than two decades following years of massive migration as both criminals and victims fled the nation's economic crisis. So they, you know, they try to um, kind of couch that a little bit you know, muddle it with victims, and but they're they're literally admitting that so pervasive is the criminal element being sent here from Venezuela that it's now having the effect of dropping their crime. They had twenty six point eight violent deaths per hundred thousand um, last year, down from thirty five point three in twenty twenty two. So that's just one year. One year. And one third of what it is in 2016. Okay, so so, folks, I'm, I'm just trying to do the math here. I'm trying to eyeball it. That probably looks like a 20% cut in one year. Something like that. In just one year. And it's one third of what it was eight years ago. Or seven, this was seven years ago. Imagine, imagine crime, violent crime dropping, okay, dropping by two-thirds, so let's say 67% over seven years. I mean, we, we actually had that miracle about that over 20 years, thanks to tougher sentencing and more proactive policing, and then we reversed it, and then now it's up again, but there was no change in their policing there. Young people who have traditionally been the main victims of violence have fled while criminals and gangs have emigrated due to the lack of opportunities to commit crimes. <laughs> According to Briseño Leon. That is unbelievable, folks. I, I want you to think about the magnitude of that for a minute. The amount of people that have left, they didn't all come to the U.S., but a lot of them did. The amount of people who left is so impactful that violent crime decreased by two-thirds. You know what that means. That just to draw down on the point I said yesterday, all those statistics I gave you quantifying the degree of criminality among illegal aliens – that was mainly from last decade or, you know, five to ten years ago. 
before any of this, before the Venezuelans. And there's a lot of other belligerents we're letting in from else, you know, especially as West African countries. Okay, these guys want a piece of you. I mean, you, you don't even need to do much research. You look at any video from even a mainstream news network, you just eyeball these guys, and they look very different from what has typically come in. It's like prima facie, this is what they are. Okay, so now think about the mortal danger we are in. And yet Republicans cannot message themselves out of a plastic bag. The entirety of Speaker Johnson's focus, the entirety of his focus, is simply on, we can't have a government that down. It, it, it is, it boggles the mind. There is quite literally nothing they can do. You know, I was I was literally about to repeat my line that many of you have heard from me. You know, Biden could hire Hamas to come here and rape all Republican women, and they'll still say we can't defund the program because we can't have a government shutdown. And then the thought just crossed my mind as I was thinking about that. That's actually what they're doing. When you look at Tren de Aragua, okay, so that is the Venezuelan prison gang that is brought in to the U.S. in very large numbers now. That is what they are. They're like Hamas in their gruesomeness. So they're very gruesome. They also have a specific modality of crime that they're they're, they're trying to get their niche. You have MS-13, you have the Mexican cartels. They have their niche. This is from Emmanuel Alejandro Rondon. It's voz.us is the is the website. Um, I don't know if it's if he's Venezuelan, but he used Venezuelan sources and reporters to give the definitive. It's the definitive piece on. It's titled. If you want to look it up, read the whole thing. It's very well worth your time. It's scary as well. Exclusive. Everything you need to know about Trend de Aragua, the fearsome gang that is already operating in the U.S. A wave of cell phone thefts caused by Venezuelan immigrants in New York City has set off all of the alarms. The fearsome Trende Aragua gang, one of the fastest growing criminal organizations in the world, could be recruiting migrants or extending its tentacles to the streets of the Big Apple to carry out its illicit operations. Um, a spokeswoman for ICE confirmed to Voz Media in an email that two Venezuelan immigrants detained and charged in the U.S. for attacking police officers are members of the gang. Um, they quote the New York Post that, that that NYPD is reporting there have been 160 motorcycle theft patterns between April of last year and January of this year compared to 62, and they seem to have a certain pattern to them that um, Trend Aragua gang members operate in a similar way. The modus operandi of Trend in NYC is this. First, its gang members steal cell phones. Then the bank accounts of those attacked are emptied after being hacked, and fraudulent transactions are made in both the U.S. and South America. The stolen phones are then sent to Colombia or Venezuela to be erased, reprogrammed, and eventually sold. So that's how they make their money. According to Fiori, the members of Trendy Aragua, these are the ones I think that attacked the police officers, entered just last December, so just two months ago, their main task to achieve 
is to achieve rapid expansion was to recruit migrants via WhatsApp, a distinctive characteristic of this gang, according to security experts consulted by Voz Media. Those messages go to shelters all over the city. You know, because all these guys have phones, better phones than I have. Imagine making a couple of bucks if you're driving that scooter. If you're stealing the phones, you could be getting 300 to 600 per cell phone. You can break into one cell phone and you could empty somebody's life savings. 10, 15, 20,000, he added. And they're basically seeing robbery, theft, theft of motorcycles. There's certain things that they do. Weeks ago, some of you might have seen this. There was a video of a 62-year-old dragged along the sidewalk, just an innocent person, 62-year-old woman, robbed, but then dragged by gang members on a motorcycle. The assailants, it turns out, were Venezuelan in origin. Um, We know, as we mentioned before, the guy who shot the Brazilian tourist in Times Square was a Venezuelan immigrant, uh, obviously invader. And yeah, this is what we've let into the country. This is what we've let in. So so think about that clarion call, that warning from that Irish woman we played at the beginning of the show. That is where we are now. I mean, New York City is gone by a mile for 50. I mean, they're gone even without the foreign invaders, just our own policies. But, you know, as we learned, they're not going to all stay there. As we learned with this murderer uh, of uh, Lakin Riley, they're going to go to Georgia, they're going to go to Montana, they're going to go to for you know rural Virginia, and you know they note that you can't really identify them necessarily by their tattoos because some of them don't have it, and this is really bad news. They spoke to Rona Risquez, who's the foremost you know, expert journalist on Trendia Aragua in Venezuela and explains several several of the characteristics of this dangerous gang include its rapid adaptation to the environment, its negotiation capacity, and its versatility to act as a criminal service provider company. It's becoming one of the fastest growing um, gangs in the world. Then they have a great negotiating capacity which allows them to achieve alliances, pacts, or agreements with local criminal groups to be able to operate in parallel or an alliance. And then it is a group that can act as a service provider. That is to say, suddenly they're not going to compete with a large drug cartel, but they can provide services to that large cartel in different criminal capacities. Um, and yeah, that's that's really what we're what we're dealing with here. They're extremely brutal. They talk about their brutality and their modus operandi in dealing with sex trafficking is a big part of what they're doing, more so than drug trafficking. I don't know if there's evidence they've gotten to drugs yet, but it's more um the sex trafficking that they're they're into. And yeah, lovely, really lovely, really, really lovely. And Republicans cannot negotiate themselves out of this situation. It is truly 
truly unbelievable. I, I mean, I'm almost at a loss of words. That today's show and yesterday's show, imagine if that would be the messaging, the unified messaging of Republicans in the states, in the House, in the Senate, and we're, we're passing a budget bill, we are not funding the invasion. What is so hard to do? If you only had Democrats doing this, the public would rebel. But Republicans create a fake fight and then perfectly deliver us into their hands. And by the way, Zelensky was recently asked by CNN's Caitlin Collins if he trusted Speaker Mike Johnson. This is what he said. When I spoke with Speaker Johnson, he said that he will do everything to support Ukraine, and he is on our side, and he said his prayers are with us, and he said that he will do it. And I, I don't doubt him. I don't doubt that a guy like Johnson will care more about Ukraine than, than this. Remember, I want you guys to vividly understand what the picture that we're painting here. It's not a border crisis. This is penetrating every corner of the country to varying degrees, a lot of areas to large degrees. Remember the haunting words from Todd Benzman when he first reported about Colony Ridge in Texas on this show. His haunting words were, we haven't fully actualized and emotionally begun to wrap our arms around the extent of the transformation that has occurred. We're, we're focused a lot on, on the border itself, but they don't stay at the border. Remember, you have 8 million illegals in, a th- in three years of any sort. That would be shocking. But it's these types of people that are largely included, included among them. Have you heard Donald Trump utter a word about this? I'm just going to tell you something very clear. Speaker Johnson doesn't do anything big without Trump's support. If Trump really emphatically believed that we need to have a shutdown fight over the border, Johnson could not be doing this. I just want you to keep that in mind. This is what happens when you elevate. See, all, all, all these guys, and you know who they are, that are like, Trump, 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 Trump. Everything is Trump. Shut up. We're not even going to entertain a debate that maybe DeSantis was better. Maybe we want to look at him. You now own this. So you're like, shut up. Everyone's a cuck. Everyone's a rhino. Everyone's a globalist. Only he's amazing. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. So don't you now have an obligation? If you're Tucker, if you're Bannon, if you're Charlie Kirk, don't you have an obligation, just like you have an obligation to guarantee us that he won't pick a guy like Tim Scott or Christy Nome or at least Stefanik as VP, that he will actually fight the battles you claim he's going to fight. But yet when we reach the specific battles, not the abstract, oh, he's going to secure the border. But right now, Trump is indisputably the leader of the party. Okay? By a mile. By a mile. Doesn't matter that he's not president at this moment. He makes a call. If he would if he would put out just one social media post, Mike Johnson better not pass a bill out of the house that does not contain HR2 and and similar provisions. Senate Republicans must filibuster and not vote for Schumer's 
budget bill, and anyone who votes for them will be primaried, and I will support a primary challenger. And here's the irony. It doesn't cost Trump anything to do that. He's very good at talking. But just just the post alone would unify and rally all of his, you know, sheeple that he commends respect from. But notice it never is there in the way we need it at the time we need it. This is the the hallmark of Tucker. You know, it's funny. I, I was told that, you know, for even doing any shows recognizing the greatest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust by a mutual enemy that we need to keep out of our country at a time that Biden is supporting Hamas, no, no, we need to only focus on our border. It's kind of interesting. Who focuses on the border and in the invasion in the way it matters at the time it matters in a more strategic, specific way? Me or Tucker? Kind of interesting. It's funny. It's funny. He only seems to care about that when he needs to swat down any sympathy for Israel. I don't know why he is so obsessed with that, so much so that he has to lie about what Biden's own position is himself and make it as if Biden is siding with Israel, and so therefore he's able to be on the other side, when in fact Biden is taking Tucker's position and is pushing a ceasefire and pushing you know, recognition of a Palestinian state and is sanctioning Israel and, and all that. But whatevs. Anyway... I want to just come full circle one more thing before we we call it quits for today. We we talked about that that um statistic that almost all population growth is going to come from immigrants not natives when after the great wave it was you know only 44 it was 44% growth among immigrant population, 306% growth among native population. I, w- I want to go back to, so we talk about the invading part, but it's a two-way street. There's the external invasion, but then there is the internal invasion as well. External invasion, internal invasion. What I mean by internal is the cultural one where, you know, we talked about this a lot on Friday, where they make, they masculinize women, feminize men. We don't even know who's who. Mental illness, everything. In other words, it's not just the, the the tranny du jour. I called it de facto tranny. <laughs> so, you know, we're all focused on the tranny stuff, but I mentioned on Friday that largely even conservatives are totally okay with this whole, like, girl boss culture. And and what that's going to do is make it that when when you change God's order – there is men, there is woman, there is Adam, there is Eve. What do you have? You have marriage. But if you mess up emotionally and psych- psychologically, uh, if you screw with femininity, you're not going to have marriages. This is from our friends at the Institute for Family Studies. They just came out with a post today. Yeah, it's today, brand new. In 1967, about 85% of 25-year-old women were married. 85% of women were married at 25. Now, that was particularly high for that age. That was the boomers. That was unique. But you go back to 1920, it was 70%. Okay. 
Okay, 70% of women. That, that's kind of where it generally was. Today, just 20% of 25-year-old women are married, and that is dropping very quickly. Now, if we're just a problem of 25-year-olds, all right, well, okay, they're getting married later. But, you know, 27, 28, they're, they're getting married, and, uh, you know, all right, so, so fine. But no. No. Uh, that it's it's all age groups. It is all age groups that are are completely down. It's shocking, utterly shocking. And the future marriage rates are likely to keep falling. The decline in marriage at age twenty five may now be subsiding, but the effects of past delays will continue to older ages. This means that plausibly one-third of men and women who turn 45 in 2050, okay? So those are, those are the people that are 18, 19 today. Your college students today, one-third will never, basically never marry. And I believe that th- those numbers are lowballing it. It's likely a lowballing it. It is truly, truly unbelievable. I mean, you look at what? It, what is this female? Female thirty-five-year-olds. Okay. The, 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 this is this is important. Female thirty-five-year-olds. I'm just eyeballing the graph because I don't have an exact number here. It looks to be about fifty-eight percent. Okay. So let's not just talk about, okay, you know, society, the old days it got married earlier, now we get married. Okay, fine. Let's say 35, right? I mean, if you're going to replace your population and have kids, you're going to need to be married by 35, right? Otherwise, I mean, you have very, you know, limited number of years left to have kids. Only 58% of current women 35 are married. No, no, I'm I'm sorry. No, no. It, it, it's worse than that. We're not talking about divorce. It's ever having been married, ever married is the metric here. Obviously there's the, you you included divorce, it's much lower than that. We're talking about only 58% have ever been married. You could imagine those girls that are 15 to 20 now the trajectory of society. You know, people closer to my generation, okay, so still some semblance of tradition, normalcy from their parents, some amount of people. You go and juxtapose what's happening on that front. And then you have the mental illness. By 2020, more than one in four girls between 12 and 17 reported having a major depressive episode in the last year. 145% increase in just 10 years from 2010 to 2020. And that really doesn't price in the lockdown much. So it's going to be much worse than that. I think there's worse numbers than one in four. So you have the mental illness, the lack of fertility, the lack of femininity, lack of masculinity for males, the lack of marriage. Oh, and then we're having millions of the most primitive, violent, degenerate people replacing us. 
You tell me there's no replacement. Again, I mean, th- this is something that you can't quantify in terms of GDP, in terms of prosperity. There is no civilization. We're not talking about America as a country. As a, as a country, it's dead. We're never going to resurrect that. And and we're only going to come to peace with a solution until we, you know, if, if, we, if we recognize that that is not, never coming back. The question is, are there pockets where we could possibly reconstitute America? But even that's going to be very, very tough if we don't get on that right now. And I don't see any leadership from Trump and his supporters making the play calls that we do here, but we're going we're gonna to try our best. And folks, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Join our ConAction teams, ConAction.network. It really doesn't take much. A small group of people awakening people in red states. We could start preserving them one by one, um, at least the rural parts of it, and maybe find some sort of mecca for our values. And, uh, you know, Florida has some potential. We've got to do more there. Let me know. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Folks, till tomorrow, let's build the wall and fill that breach in the gap. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.